are listening to audio from The Table. If you'd like to learn more about our community or donate to this ministry, please visit thetabletx.org. Hey, Table Church family. So we had some audio issues this past Sunday. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, preach the message just straight to you. So we are in uh, our series titled First Peter Part 2. In the fall, we did First uh, Peter Part 1, where we covered chapter 1 of this amazing little book from the New Testament. Um, but now we are on to chapter 2. So the title of my message is Stones, Priests, Bridges, and Glory. Our primary text for today is First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, uh, which reads, As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. That's Isaiah 28, verse 16. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, now he quotes again, the stone and the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's a quote from Psalm 118, verse 22. Now on to verse 8. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. There he's quoting Isaiah 8, 14. They stumble because they disobey the message, Peter writes, which is also what they were destined for. All right. So what on earth is Peter talking about? I'm imagining someone really new to Christian faith who said, you know, like I need to read the Bible. And so they flip it open and let's just say they randomly, you know, come to this passage and they read it. And then I imagine them promptly closing the book and saying, I have no idea what this guy Peter's talking about. Clearly the Bible is not for me. But actually, with just a little bit of historical background, I think we can interpret what he's getting at. And uh, I should give credit now to New Testament theologian N.T. Wright. He uh, was a major source of insight for my message today and helped me with this interpretation. So, all right, so all this talk about stones and living stones and cornerstones and a stone that causes people to stumble, spiritual houses, holy priesthoods, sacrifices. Can you maybe start to see what all this language is pointing to? Like, even if you know nothing about Judaism at all, you might pick up on the fact that this is temple language. By the way, we're about to do some history. I promise we're going somewhere, so hang with me. All right, for the Jewish people, their worship centered around the temple in Jerusalem. It was the most important place in the world to them, and here's why. When the first temple was built during King Solomon's reign, a very significant thing happened during what was known as the dedication of the temple. So after it was finished, thousands upon thousands of people from Jerusalem and the surrounding area all gathered, and they have this whole like ceremony to dedicate the temple to the Lord. There's music, there's prayers, they even have thousands of animals all prepared to be sacrificed, and at the very end, King Solomon himself begins to pray. We pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Can you see that this was a hugely significant moment in Israel's history? 
I mean, this is why the temple was such a big deal. It was the place where the fire of God fell. It was the place where the beauty, the glory of God dwelt. This is also why it was such a huge deal, a momentous, nation-shattering, soul-crushing moment when, roughly 400 years later, the Babylonian Empire conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Now fast forward another 70 years after that, after the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. A few leaders like Ezra, Nehemiah, and you can read all about this in their books in the Bible, but basically they're allowed to return to Jerusalem. And so what do you think they begin to stir up the people to do? Rebuild the temple. For years they labor until one day it's finally finished. And so again, they gather for the dedication of the second temple. We pick up this story in Ezra chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Then the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the exiles, celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. And that's it. Now, I'm sure it was a beautiful ceremony, but did you catch what was missing? No fire. No glory. In fact, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, the theologian I mentioned earlier, he speculates that part of what led to the rise of Pharisaism, if you read the Gospels, uh, then you know Jesus was constantly having run-ins with the Pharisees. But basically, he speculates that they were a group of people who said, okay, if we would just be zealous for the law the way we once were, if we would keep the purity rituals and the food laws, if we would adhere strictly to Torah, and if all these sinners would get their stinking act together, then the Lord would purge the land of these filthy Roman pagans, and then what? The fire would fall again. The glory of God would again fill the temple. Because although by the time we come to the New Testament in the time of Jesus, the people, they're back in the land and they have the temple built by Ezra and Nehemiah, like it's there. And yet there was this sense in Judaism that something was off. The Romans were still oppressing them. The temple had turned into a weird sort of money grab. Remember how Jesus had to clear the temple and said, you've turned what's supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of thieves. Like that was the sense in Judaism at the time. The Romans were oppressing them. The temple in Jerusalem as a whole just were not what they once were. No fire, no glory. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. This is now the beginning of the early church. This is after the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. But before he ascended to the Father, he told his small band of followers, When I leave, don't you leave Jerusalem. Stay and wait for the gift my Father promised, the Holy Spirit, so the disciples and a few other early believers, about 70 people, stayed in a room in Jerusalem and waited. Here's Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What just happened? The fire fell. The glory came. But not in the temple in Jerusalem. It fell upon people. 
And guess who was one of the people in that upper room? Guess who had a front row seat to this experience? In fact, not just a front row seat. Guess who experienced it himself? Peter, the writer of our text today. The fire fell upon Peter, but not only upon Peter and not only upon the 12 disciples of Jesus, but upon all the followers of Christ gathered there. And this is why Peter goes on to say in the opening lines of chapter 2 of his book that God is building a temple, but it is not a temple built with cold, hard stone. No, it is living stones. It is human lives that he is bringing together. But the most important stone is not you or I. No, the most important stone is the cornerstone. In the ancient world, the cornerstone was this massive stone, sometimes weighing 10,000 tons. And that stone had to be flawless, no cracks, lest it not be able to sustain the weight of the building. And it had to be true, straight as an arrow, because it was setting the line for the rest of the structure. And so Peter says, Jesus is the cornerstone of this new living temple. He is perfect love itself, God in the flesh. His life is our example. His way is our way. He is our cornerstone. And then from that faithful and true cornerstone, what is happening? You and I as living stones are being brought together. Church, you are the temple, the place where God dwells. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. That's Peter's language for temple. And what is a temple? A temple is a place where God dwells. Thus, you, as the temple, are now the place where God dwells. Everywhere you go as a follower of the Lord Jesus, the spirit of the living God goes to. This leads to Peter's second insight. If the spirit of Jesus is inside of you, then that means you are the priest, a bridge from God to a hurting world. Here's verse 5 again. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You say, wait a second. Uh, Brad, I thought you were the priest. Like, don't you have to go to seminary or something to be a priest? Well, not according to Peter. He says, you are the priests. This means that when you go to, I don't know, somewhere mundane like Walmart, you're not just there as... Regular old you, like you're there with the eyes of a priest. You're there as a bridge from God to a hurting world. World Who needs a kind word? Who needs encouragement? Who needs a smile? Who needs a prayer? Like you are available. Why? Because you're a bridge builder. It, through your words, through your actions, you build bridges from God to people. And by the way, this doesn't have to be overly elaborate or complex. One of my friends comes to mind. He's a musician and a Christian. But on more than one occasion, he has fulfilled the role of priest to me because he's very present and he asks me questions, thoughtful questions. Like I'll throw something out there, somewhat of a throwaway line like, well, I just, I just don't think I could do that. Like that's beyond me. And immediately he starts burrowing in. He's like, how interesting, he says. Why, why do you think you feel that way? Is it accurate or do you simply feel inadequate? Do you often feel inadequate? And I'm like starting to feel a little bit emotional. Like this is turning into a God moment. How did we end up here? It's because I'm talking with a priest. Unless you think being a priest always means getting into intense conversations with people. It doesn't always mean that. What I'm trying to say is be present. Be available. Look for the God moments. Remember our mission as a church is to shift a generation from reactionary to visionary through the person and work of Jesus. To be visionary is to fulfill the priestly role. It's not about a position or a title. It's a verb. 
It's a life lived. This is why Peter goes on to say, in effect, you are the sacrifice, a life of worship, love, and service. Here's his exact quote, back to verse five. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, God does not desire the blood of lambs and goats. What he longs for is a life, a life lived, your life, a life of beauty, obedience, prayer, worship, love, service, forgiveness, reconciliation, compassion. So church, let's do it. Let's be the temple. Let's be the priest. Let's be the sacrifice. Because frankly, like our cities need it. Wiley, Plano, Garland, Sachse, Dallas, wherever you live, wherever you work, your family, your broader community desperately needs this kind of people. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, so often we discount ourselves. We think that you will use other people more spiritual people, more mature people, holy people, priestly people. And yet your word has come to us today reminding us that in fact we are the temple. We are the priests, we are the sacrifice. And so our prayer is make us good ones, Lord. Make us faithful ones. Make us a community where your fire has fallen, where your glory dwells. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.